I'm just really fired up about what God's doing. And, you know, I kicked this series off a couple weeks ago, Dangerous Opportunities. And then Pastor Mark picked it up last week. Did he do a great job last week, Pastor Mark? He always does. And today I'm continuing really part two of what I started on the first day when we're talking about dangerous opportunities. And I really want to give you faith for the summer faith for the summer. I believe that summer is a time of growth. Summer, yeah, we rest and, and, and we relax and we need to do that. But in that time, the Holy Spirit will always challenge you, will always provoke you. And if you have your ear ready and listening, he will always speak to you. Summer is a great time for me to get filled up again. It's a great time for me to receive fresh direction, fresh manna from heaven. And I know that everyone in here has an assignment on your life, that God makes everything and he makes everyone with a unique purpose and plan for our lives. And if you try to compare yourself, your life, your situation, your health, your ministry opportunities, your career opportunities, your family opportunities to someone else, you will always come up short. You will find yourself short facing this person, or you'll feel like a little bit of pride over here when you look at another situation. And I want you to understand today that it's not about what's going on around you, but it's about what's going on inside of you. Because as I say all the time, greater is he who's in me than he who is in this world. So therefore, I have authority, a greater authority to maintain it, to deal with, and to grow from the inside out versus what's happening to me. Now, God does take those obstacles you face. He takes those trials. He takes the good events and the tough events and also the celebratory events. And if you will hear his voice, if you will see and discern what he wants, hear his voice and act on it, what will happen is whether it's an obstacle that you will take and turn into an opportunity and go to another level in God, or it may be an opportunity that God wants to multiply and magnify and give you a greater opportunity than you even imagine. That's why the Bible talks about growing in our faith, growing in God. And so today I want to really focus in on you having faith to turn your obstacles into opportunities, that you have faith to turn your obstacles into opportunities. Now, those obstacles could be, could be your health. Those obstacles could be your marriage. Those obstacles could be, you know, what's going on in, your, in high school or what's going on in college or what's going on in your career or what's going on in ministry. I don't know, but we face obstacles all the time. Why? Because without pain, there's no gain right? We understand that in, in, in physical fitness. Without pain, there's no gain. You know those commercials where the guy's all in the gym and he gets down and he does one push-up and he goes, oh, that's great. The lady's there and she does one sit-up. That's great. That was my workout and that's going to change all the conditions with my heart and, and, and cholesterol and all that. Isn't that amazing? No, it doesn't work that way. You were born into a cursed world. You face tough stuff. And you get to celebrate good stuff. But even when you have good stuff going on in your life, there's responsibility. Here in a few weeks, I'm going to be kicking off a new series, and I'm just chomping at the bit at it. But one of the whole thoughts behind this series that I'm going to be kicking off is we grow when we follow Jesus. His desire is to take us from being fishers of fish to a new realm of living of being fishers for people. 
And if you want to grow, we, we focus so many times on personal spiritual growth, and that's okay to an extent. We focus on, you know, our natural uh, uh, careers, our education, and that's good too. But the number one way you will grow is when you follow Jesus. Because when you follow Jesus with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul, his righteousness is added unto you, and then all those things you were believing for, you begin to walk in another level of those things you were believing for, those opportunities you were believing for, those obstacles to be marked wiped out of your way that you were believing for. And it doesn't come from me just focusing on, I'm just going to grow. Who are you to grow? You already know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. And you can learn some things by studying and doing that, and, and you need to. But when Christ is involved and your whole goal is to please him and to serve him and to grow and to build what's eternal with him, then all of the things you do with your natural education and your spiritual education and, and your life and your just natural learned education just multiplies through the roof. And God wants you to not just go to another level. He wants you this summer, your spirit man, your heart, your mind to go to another realm in him so that you're fighting bigger devils, you're fighting bigger obstacles, you're fighting bigger stuff. You see, we look, oh God, I just don't want another obstacle, another, you know, bad diagnosis or another fight, another this, another that, another betrayal, another disappointment, whatever it is, if you focus on the betrayal or the disappointment or whatever that is, it will rob you of the faith and the energy you need and the passion you need to live the lifestyle, the miraculous supernatural lifestyle that God designed every born again believer to live in. Does anybody believe that with me now? Do you believe that with me now? So summer is a time for building our faith. Now the scripture that this series is based on comes out of 1 Corinthians 16 verse, uh, verse 8 and 9. And it, I'm giving you the amplified version, actually verse 9. And it's really leading up, what's leading up to this scripture, Paul, the apostle Paul is on his third missionary journey. Previously on his second missionary journey, he had established the churches in Corinth. The churches in Corinth became, as you know, as you study First and Second Corinthians, that they became the church of miracles, gifts of the Spirit, signs and wonders, understanding the Holy Spirit and the power of God and a lot of those amazing things. They were prosperous and a wealthy people. It was a prosperous city. And really the first churches in Jerusalem were poor. They, they had been beaten down. They had been separated and divided. And, and, and Paul, you know, he, he had just such a heart, not just for the good place, the exciting places where church was going on, but also the tough and rough places and the unchurched as well. And they're telling Paul, come on, get back up here, spend time with us. And he's like, I will, but the Lord asked me to go through Macedonia first. Well, what do you want to do? They sent an entourage over to commence Paul to get there quickly. He said, no, I'm not coming now. He said, but I'm on my way. He said, but when I get there, I don't want to just spend a month with you. I might spend a winter or a year with you. I'm going to spend a long season with you. And they didn't realize he had a lot of things to cover with him that wasn't comfortable. And he knew he needed to get there and to see him face to face to deal with it so that they could see that he lived not by the sound of his voice or the loudness of his voice, but by the loudness or the power of his spirit. Amen. And they needed a little instruction and love there. Okay. So anyway, he was coming their way. But now we see this final verse, he talks about the reason he's not coming. He gives them the why behind it. He says, uh, 
For a great, verse 9, 2 Corinthians 16, verse 9, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Wow, I'm excited. I can't get to you because there's a great and effective, in some translations it says effectual door. There's a great and effectual door that is open to me. It's awesome. It's open, wide open, and there's, daggone it, there's many adversaries. Because he knew where there was more problems, more fear, more devils, more opportunities for failure, that was an opportunity to accomplish more, to do more, to become more, and have greater success. You can't win a great championship unless you have the opportunity to lose a great championship. You, you, you can't be a person of courage and, 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 and do a courageous act, I mean, and get credit for it if it wasn't a courageous act you performed. And Paul was like, man, it, he was already dead to himself and alive in Christ. He was just all in it for God. And he was telling us that he, this effectual door, now that, that word effectual, energe, 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 I mean, in the Greek language, the original text here was the fact that it meant power. It meant, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, three key meanings to that word, this effectual door. It meant active, operative, and powerful. Active, operative, and powerful. And I, I got into those more a couple of weeks ago, so I could get stuck there a while. But he was saying, man, there's this active, powerful opportunity to operate in God and to do his will. What? Why? Because this effectual, wide door has opened, and there's many adversaries, many people who oppose, many people who are against. And not only people we study, you know, like in Acts 17, there was spirits, de demon spirits following him around that he had to cast out. So he looked at these adversaries as opportunities. And that's what I want to encourage you in the next 10, 15 minutes is I want to encourage you that whatever you're facing is not too big for God. Whatever you're facing is not too great for God. That God did not design you and I to live from the facts of our history, but to live from the future of our destiny, right? You're, 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 if you focus on your past or even your now so much, you will begin to lose passion because none of us are perfect. All of us have faults. All of us, I'm not saying don't focus and repent and change things. We'll talk about conviction in a minute. But what I'm talking about is the more you focus and follow him, the more you become like him. And those adversaries that used to be big to you are tiny and under your feet. And now you're facing some other adversary that's even larger, but the reward is greater for you and for the kingdom of God, that you can be effective for him. So I'm going to continue to build your faith this summer as you learn to overcome these obstacles and turn them into opportunities. Look with me in 1 Samuel, and I can't think of a greater Bible character, man of God, to encourage us about facing our giants, facing our obstacles, and encourage us in what it looks like on one side of the battle, but what it looks like on the other side. And, and David, King David is who we're going to be talking about. He's still a shepherd boy at this time. He had recently been called by Samuel. God said in Acts 13 that he had removed Saul and that he had found a man after his own heart that would do all that he asked him to do. And that's what God is looking at. God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for bought-in people. He's looking for sold-out people. He's looking for people that our heart follows him. 
You see, when my passion and desire is for something else greater than him, then he's second or he's third or he's fourth. And it begins to show up in every area of my life. It begins to show up in all my relationships. You see, God is not interested in only the great events that take place in our life. You know, you have a great event like salvation and then baptism and then maybe the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Those are great events. But real life and real discipleship is your relationship with Christ throughout your journey and with other people on this earth. Because Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what is his greatest command? Remember what he said? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's a tall order, isn't it? Love your neighbors yourself. Love others. So we are here to pursue and to love God with all of our heart and to love others as ourselves. It didn't say love your neighbors above God. It said if you could just love them as much as you love yourself, you'll, you'll be all right. But as far as God goes, he's off the chart. He's off the chain. There's no option. He has to be first. Because if he isn't first, you won't marry the right person. If he isn't first, you, you may not even keep that marriage together. If he isn't first, you know, you won't be able to lead your children. If he isn't first, children, you won't even be able to be the success you could be in life. You see, he has to be first. And when he's first, everything else comes into alignment or into order. Amen? You know, it's like when we think about events, whenever we think about a marriage is an event, right? A wedding is an event, I'm sorry, but a marriage is a relationship. Giving birth to a child is an event, a beautiful event, but raising the child is a relationship. And what I want us as a church is to move even into a greater realm of our relationship. Take amazing events. Take amazing services. and Take amazing times that you have alone with God. Those events. That's awesome. Take the tough stuff and the bad stuff and you're still alive and you're still kicking. Take all that stuff and keep pouring it into the relationship you have with Christ and let it grow you and mature you. And I promise you, the obstacles you've been worried about will be so far under your feet, you won't even, somebody had to remind you sometime that you had that addiction, you had that problem, you had that unforgiveness, you had that issue because you're so far beyond it because you're simply following Christ. Amen? So that's how we overcome these obstacles, isn't it? So let's look here in 1 Samuel and I won't be able to go through verse by verse, but I'll go through some of this with you. And David has just been called recently by God, by Samuel. God had used Samuel to go call him. And he was a shepherd boy, and he was the youngest of his brothers. And he had been sent back out to the shepherd field to take care of the sheep. And he'd been called from that. He was so faithful that he'd been called uh, by one of Saul's assistants to come and play the harp for Saul because he had these demonic spirits on him. And when David would play the anointing and the worship and David's heart would overcome the demons in the room and Paul, uh, Saul could get some rest and some sleep. But even during that time, he would still occasionally get to come back and take care of his father's sheep. Now, while he was taking care of his father's sheep, he had a private victory, as we know, a couple private victories, which were huge. It says he killed the bear, the lion, and the bear with his bare hands. Killed a lion and a bear. Now, a coey, 
I hope we get time to talk about it today. It was amazing. If not, we'll spend a bunch of time next week. But it was an amazing trip, amazing time. We had a number of salvations and baptisms, and, and, and it was awesome. But one of the things, Pastor Steph and I were driving back through the one of the paths, and we saw she saw a big black bear standing up and then running off. I mean, when you see a bear, you begin to realize they're not a dog or a cat. Can anybody say amen? They're a bear. And, and to think that David fought and killed that bear just to protect some sheep. He could have offered a few sheep and got the rest out, but he fought the bear to death and killed it. He fought the lion to death and killed it. Now, what was that? That was private victories. Nobody saw him. He had to tell people about it. You could call him a bragger. But now David is coming, and his dad, he comes home to watch the sheep. His dad says, hey, two of your brothers, three of your brothers are on the front line. I want you to take lunch up to them. And David knew that they were fighting. Uh, they were up there standing off against the Philistines. And so we see that David comes up, and he comes up there, and we'll talk about it here in a moment. And he sees the armies of Israel standing there, and they had an obstacle in front of him, and his name was Goliath. Now let's look at the, this point when David comes to bring the lunch to his brothers. Here's what he walks up on. Look with me in verse 3, 1 Samuel 7, verse 3. It said, the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Everybody say a valley. And a champion went out from among the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. In our measurements, that would be 10 feet and six inches tall. It's a pretty big guy, about six inches taller than a basketball goes. A pretty big dude, amen? And a trained warrior. So we see here now that as, as it says a mountain stood on one side, right? You see, wh what I want you to realize is that whenever you're looking at your obstacles, there's always a valley between them. And obstacles often appear to be a valley between our mountain of opportunities. You see, the armies of Israel, we'll read in the next few verses, were in fear because back in 1 Samuel 4, we find out that, that the Philistines had whooped them and beat them up pretty bad in a battle. And they were intimidated by the Philistines. And now they got their big champion out challenging everybody to a duel. And he's a great obstacle. And he has multiple obstacles behind him. And now little David's coming up and he sees Saul and all the armies of Israel in panic, in fear, letting him talk about his God, letting him talk about them like they're dogs, making fun and laughing and challenging them to come out and fight him. And no one would. So what are you saying, Pastor? Our obstacles, are, our obstacles often appear to be a valley between our mountain of opportunities. You see, they saw this giant as an obstacle that was too great to overcome. But you'll find out in a minute, David saw this obstacle as an opportunity too great to pass up. You see, I want to ask you, how do you see your junk? How do you see your stuff? How do you see what, you know, 90% of what you fear won't happen anyway? It won't happen anyway. And, and what does happen or what has happened, what if you put that in the hands of God and put your attention on him? You'll see how quick your faith will accelerate. Uh, verses 10 and 11, let's drop down to that. It said, and the Philistine here, now we're getting to the Philistine and what he said to him. Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Man, you see, what I want you to realize, guys, when you are so concerned about your history, you'll miss your destiny. When you're so concerned about, oh, back there, you know, a few months ago, they whooped us. They could have wiped us out if we hadn't ran. But when you're so focused on that, what could happen or what did happen or how bad it could have been versus stirring up your faith. Remember, we talked about faith a couple weeks ago, Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith, immediate faith right here today. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the substance of the healing hoped for, the substance of the restoration hoped for, the substance of the forgiveness hoped for, the substance of the job or the financial breakthrough hoped for. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence, confidence, assurance of things you can't see. Faith really is simply knowing and trusting God. Following him, the more you follow him through the good times and the bad times, you will know him better and you will trust him more. And you will realize, like I realized a number of years ago, 1 John 4, that he first loved us. So we don't try to grow our love for God. We don't try to grow, you know, our faith for God. We simply follow him with all of our hearts, humble ourselves and follow him with all of our hearts and obey what he says, understand his word because you get to know him when you know his word and trust him. And when you do, you begin to tap into things that other people don't see. You see, faith is an unseen realm. And there's things in this room right now, FM radio stations, AM radio stations, XM radio stations. There's, there's movies and movie channels and direct TV. Anything that be on uh, Cox cable or direct TV or dish. If you have the right receiver and monitor, you can tune in and tap into any of it right now in this room. It's not like they got to come here. It's just an unseen realm that that receiver taps into. And I want you to realize as a born-again believer, you have a receiver in you. If you will tune it into the things of God, it will tap you into things you can't see and give you hope and give you answers you could never get from anyone or anything else but God. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He always was in is and always will be. He's living in your past, your present, and your future at the same time because in him is no time. You worried about your future, he's already there. You're worried about your past, he's there right now. You're worried about your now, he's there right now. There is no time in him. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is omniscient, all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. You say, how could that be? He's God and you ain't. He's God and I'm not. And I can't understand it all now, but the more I know him and the more I trust him, I'll understand it more and more. But 1 Corinthians tells us that in that day, we see things in part now like a, a glass dimly, but in that day, when you get to heaven, you'll know all things. So don't worry about what you don't know, just trust him for it. He's good for it. He's good for it. Well, what if I do forgive them? How will that work out? He's good for it. Well, well what if I let them off the hook? He's good for it. Well, well, well what if I make that investment and blow, blow it and, and it felt, he's good for it. What if I take that step of faith to school or to a new career? He's good for it. If you'll do it out of the right heart, he'll lead you. If you do it out of the right heart and trust and know him, he'll lead you into things you can't see and you can't know on your own. And he'll bring you into a path 
that will be a path of blessing and favor, even when the obstacles are coming against you. You see, they were simply saying, the armies of Israel, Israel what they say, fear. Oh no, here we go again. Isn't that the way a lot of Christians live? Oh no, here we go again. Here's another situation. Here's another relationship. Here's another whatever. And we look at it and go, oh no, here we go again. And, and, and we take these, we avoid these obstacles. And when we avoid these obstacles and don't face them head on, we miss opportunities. You, you see, you, you got to go through the valley and face your Goliath to get to the mountaintop, to, to your next thing. So drop down to verse 17, uh, verse 32. So we see that David saw an opportunity where they saw an obstacle. It says, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him because of him, for your servant will go fight with this Philistine. And then verse 30, drop down to verses 36 and 37. He said, your servant, David said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord, uh, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, we can choose how we view our obstacles. And if we turn them in to an opportunity, we'll be determined on what we see, what we say, and what we do. What we see, what we say, and what we do. Look at what David did. He not only saw it and spoke it, he prophesied the outcome. He prophesied what was going to happen. Even when Saul and all of them thought this poor crazy kid, he prophesied the outcome because he knew his God well enough and he was in covenant and he knew this Philistine was not in covenant with God and he knew some way he would win. Look what he said in verse 36 again. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine will, uh, this uncircumcised Philistine will be as one of them, as the bear of the lion, right? Seeing he has defied the armies of of the living God. David spoke and then he acted on what he spoke. Look with me in verses 45 and 46. Let's drop down to that. David's approaching the Philistine to fight him and he's hearing all the smack talk. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, everybody say this day. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the, your, the carcasses of the, of the camp, give it to the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts in the earth that, will, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I mean, he is prophesying, and as you know the story, what did he do? It says in verse 50, he prevailed. David prevailed over the Philistine, over that obstacle, with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine, killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Think about that. And you remember the story? He took him, pulled his hair back, and cut his head off like he said, and his carcass was left for the birds. 
And then the children of Israel what, came rushing behind him and they killed a bunch of the Philistines, ran them off and won the battle. But what did he do? It took someone who knew and trusted God. It took someone that said, no matter how great the obstacle is, my God is greater. And there is no way I can fail because even if my life's taken, I just get a promotion to heaven. You can't kill a dead man. You can't kill a dead woman. So we really, what do we have to lose? Just a little earthly pride or, you know, some earthly goals or what? You see, what I want you to realize, the shortest span of your existence is the, the, this first time you're on the earth. So if you're on this earth 60, 80, 100, 120 years, that's nothing in eternity. That's a short span. And we zero in, and right now we are determining our forever. Number one, if we don't receive Christ, we won't spend forever with God. We'll spend forever with Satan in hell. Number two, if we do give our life to Christ and we're not effective and we focus more on this span of living and what we need to do in this life right now, guess what happens? Then you miss out on opportunities in the hereafter because the kingdom of God is a government. It's not just some little passive thing in the clouds floating in the by and by. The kingdom of God is a government and it has rulers and Jesus is the king and he's running it for his father. Guess what? I want you to understand something. Remember the, what it says after the millennium, after the thousand year reign, when Jesus comes back, what it say? Then he would destroy heaven and earth and create a new earth. Think about that. He's going to create a new heaven. He's going to create a new earth where there was no sin, no failure, nothing. But he's going, we're still going to have to live a thousand years resisting the devil even after we're brought from the graves or maybe we're still alive whenever, the, you know, the rapture and all that stuff happens. But no one getting into all that right now. But anyway, so what I want you to realize is this span you're living in right now is determining a lot. The old saying is be careful. You could be your grandmother's doorkeeper in heaven is true. Because if she's a prayer warrior, a faithful woman of God, and knows and trusts God, she's doing so many kingdom things that most preachers don't even think of doing. I mean, I, I would never put my, my worthiness in eternity up to Miss Gwen. Because, I, man, you know, someone that prays like her, believes like her, humbles herself, and that kind of thing, it's not that she's better than me or I'm better than her. It's just the fact that you don't see the true glory. You get to see a little bit of everybody's glory, but the true glory is in the unseen times with God when you're killing your bear and your lion. That's what gives you the faith to wipe out a Goliath. You know, it's that old saying, you spent your whole life to become an overnight success. Colonel Sanders spent his whole life and finally was so broke, he took his Social Security check and bet on a fried chicken recipe. And after he visited a thousand people trying to convince him to let him be, get a percentage of the money, one guy agreed, and that's how Colonel Sanders started KFC. And in his 70s and 80s and so on, he was a multimillionaire where he'd been broke most of his life, living off Social Security, a little bit of Social Security to end. You see, but everybody said, he's, a, he's an overnight success. No, he had to go through a lot of things to get sick and tired of being sick and tired and saying, I'm not going out off this planet like I am right now. You know, you need to get sick and tired and be sick and tired of being offended. You need to get sick and tired and be sick and tired of feeling like you're overlooked. You need to be sick and tired of sick and tired of being sick and physically battling pain in your body. You need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired of your financial circumstances and pressure and weights and your job and your relationships and your marriage and your kids. You just need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired and say, I surrender. Here I am, God. Take me as I am. 
I am. And from this day on, I will follow you as though it's the first day every day. So what are you doing with your obstacles? I, I see the pattern here. I see it in my own life, but we're almost into our 19th year here. And I see patterns of wonderful, loving people come to Bethel, life transformation, family transformation, get upset, offended at somebody, leave Bethel a year, maybe months, a year, maybe three or four years, maybe five years later, come back to Bethel. We welcome them. We love them because who are we to judge people about anything? We just love them and come on in, be here another five or six years and then leave again. And, and you know, and, and I just look at this cycle and I can go every time it was the same thing that they left over. It was just a different person that they were hurt or offended by. I see it in people that go through multiple marriages. If they don't get it fixed and get themselves taken care of, they take the same junk into the next marriage and the next marriage and the next marriage. I see the same cycle with children when parents don't live consistently in front of them. It's not about your preaching, ma'am or sir. It's about your living. And if you will live and pursue God in front of your children, they will live and pursue God. Even if they fall away, they will come back. But you are the greatest influence other than Jesus Christ on their life. It's not your preacher it's not your school teacher it's not your coach it's you sir it's you ma'am and you need to determine am I sick and tired and sick and tired of falling off and allowing the obstacles of life take away from me the time I could be spending with my children the time I could be enjoying them as adults the time I could be celebrating things that I never thought I could be celebrating and going beyond whatever dreamt I could be or become for God or are you just going to hide and cower in fear never taking a step into your valley. See, when you go into your valley, what do you do when somebody celebrates? You know, you, 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 if you ever fought any and you're getting ready to fight somebody, we had this guy on this boxing team, that, that the first boxing team I was on, and he came on, he was older, and he, he was known as a crazy dude, about 6'4", country dude, hard-headed, fought everybody all of his life from a big old family up in the way up in a holler, I mean way up in a holler. But nobody messed with this dude because he was crazy. He'd take his head and butt car, a car door. He didn't care. He's crazy. He'd kill you. He's crazy. And he said, I want to try this boxing out. He'd come over to the gym. And our coach said, well, I guess if you want to try it boxing out, you can try it out. He said, well, when's your next match? He said, well, we're getting ready to go to Charleston, West Virginia, fighting the go. I want to go. Well, you know, you haven't tried. I, I fought my whole life. I'll work out with you a little bit, and I'll go, okay. So we go up there. We're getting ready to go fight, and we're thinking, man, when it comes up to him, he was a heavyweight. You know, we had another heavyweight. He won his battle. He'd been working for two years. He won his, and, you know, I'd fought, and other guys fought. You know, you kind of sat in line beside each other until you come up to your time, and, and it was in the Charleston Arena there. And, and this old dude, he gets up there, and he's <clears throat> like a big, this other dude's just calm. <laughs> fit, trim, didn't look, you know, a lot lighter than him. And he's just over there waiting, listens to his coach, listen, waiting. He was trained. He was ready. This other dude, he's mm, I'll show you. And he did a forward handstand intentionally with his head instead of his hands. Boom, boom, ah. boom. He did like three of them. And, and, and I mean, he hit his head on the mat and stood up on his feet. And you know what he was doing? He was trying to impress the guy that was getting ready to just dismantle him. I mean, brutally beat him up. Because he was bigger and he knew his history and he thought if I can get fear in that guy, I could whoop him. And that guy, he didn't last a minute. 
And that guy beat that poor old big old country boy almost to die. I'm like, y'all going to stop this? I mean, in a minute, minute and a half, it was like a razor position, just broke his nose, cut. I mean, it's awful. He's like spitting blood out of his mouth, peeing, having a mouth with spitting blood. And they get him in the bathroom. I mean, it's all I went to the bathroom. It's awful. Look at that. I was like, dude, I just thought to myself, you know, we're not what we think we are. Amen. You better know who you are. I think that's the way a lot of Christians live. We're living off some past victories and we think we're bad enough for the next obstacle and it's getting ready to clean your clock. It's getting ready to take your marriage. It's getting ready to take your kids. It's getting ready to take your wealth. It's getting ready to take your anointing. It's getting ready to take your gifts. You better wake up and realize you've got to constantly stay in training. Constantly be ready. Constantly train. Humble yourself and train. Humble yourself and pray. Humble yourself and serve. Humble yourself and study. Humble yourself and give. you got to humble yourself and be used by God or you're going to get used up by the God of this world. It's your choice.